Welcome to the Amazing Applications Podcast for Microsoft business applications makers who want to build amazing applications that everyone will love. Hi, I'm your host, Neil Benson. My goal on this show is to help you slash your project budgets, reduce your delivery timelines, mitigate technical risks, and create amazing, agile Microsoft Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. If you're a regular listener, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you subscribing to the podcast. I appreciate your feedback and the engagement we get on the Amazing Applications page on LinkedIn. If this is your first time listening to the Amazing Application Show, and a very special welcome to you as well. As the intro suggests, the show exists to help you build amazing, agile Microsoft business applications. Sometimes we have guests from the Dynamics 365 and Power Platform community on the show to reveal the critical success factors that help them build amazing applications. Recently, we've had Haniel Kortoru from Protivity, Bert Vines from Power Accelerate, and CJ Brooks from Mission CRM sharing their stories with us. Today, it's a solo episode. You've just got me. I'm going to do my best to answer one of our listeners' questions. Thanks to Richard for his insightful questions about working with user stories in a Dynamics 365 or Power Platform project. Richard is a business analyst, and he's admitted to me that his career in business analysis has mostly been working in waterfall projects. And like me, Richard's got some classic business analysis certifications in requirements engineering and business process modeling. Let's spend this episode talking about user stories on Dynamics 365 and Power Platform projects, and I'll share three traps to avoid when working with user stories. You'll find the show notes, including a transcript and resources for this episode, at customary.com slash 028. What are user stories? A user story captures the essence of a requirement from the point of view of the user. Really simple. Whereas a system shall statement might say, the system shall display key metrics of regional sales in a dashboard, the same requirement captured as a user story might say, as a sales manager, I can review all of the key metrics for my region so that I can coach my team to pursue the best opportunities. Notice the key differences. The system shall statement does not tell you who the story is for. The user story does. It's for a sales manager. The system shall statement gives you a design constraint. The metrics will be displayed in a dashboard. The user story captures the requirement and not the solution. The system shall statement doesn't tell you why the requirement is valuable. The user story captures the value the sales manager will get from knowing the regional sales metrics. She'll be able to coach her team more effectively. If you've never worked with user stories before, there is a lot more to learn. I'll include some resources in the show notes. If you've been listening to amazing applications or using an agile approach for a while, I'm going to assume you're familiar with user stories and have a good grasp of the basics. Richard asked a couple of questions about user stories in some situations on his recent projects. There are some traps that are easy to fall into when we're working with user stories, and Richard's naturally trying to avoid them. Here they are. 
first trap is the level of detail. The second trap is splitting and combining user stories. And the third trap is managing changes to the backlog of user stories. Let's go through those, starting with the level of detail. I love keeping user stories as brief as possible. There's a temptation for the business analyst to support the product owner by interviewing or observing users or running workshops and capturing lots of notes and trying to jam those into the user story as acceptance criteria or test scenarios. This is a trap. It's a trap for a couple of reasons. Sometimes we capture a lot of detail about user stories without understanding or before we can understand the relative priority of this user story within the product backlog. We spend hours or even days writing a detailed user story only to discover that the product owner doesn't think that this user story will be a candidate for the next release. It could be months before we start developing it. The story is going to go stale. The requirement could well change. It could become obsolete months from now and all that effort in business analysis would be wasted. But I know Richard's on board with just-in-time requirements analysis. His Scrum team has already discussed the priority of this user story, and the product owner wants to start work on it in a sprint or two. Even then, writing a detailed user story with lots of criteria and scenarios could still be a trap. We try to write a user story so descriptive that it's got all the details our developers need, and they never have to bother our users or confer with our product owner. It's all right there in the story. I think that's a waterfall mindset. Believing that our stakeholders' complex wants and needs can be specified in writing or with a few diagrams in such a way that it's faithful, unambiguous, and a complete knowledge transfer. I often see this with remote teams, especially those separated by time zones. There's barely any overlap in the working day of the developers and the users, so we try and write everything down for the developers because face-to-face -face dialogue is too hard to schedule. The cost of documentation, the cost of miscommunication, the cost of getting lost in translation. This is the invisible cost of offshore development. Instead, our user stories should be a reminder to have a conversation. User stories are not a requirement specification. They are a reminder that the developers need to discuss what the users want and need with the users. During that discussion, there'll be questions. Coming back to our sales manager requirement for team metrics, there'll be questions such as, what do you mean by key metrics? Can you give us some examples? How are those metrics calculated? Is all the data to calculate the metrics in the application, or do you combine it with data in other systems? There'll be design options that the developers might want to evaluate. Would it be good enough if we recreated the key metrics you've got today? Could we do it in Excel? Would a dashboard be preferable? Do you already use Power BI? Do you want to change the filters and adjust the slicers yourself? There'll be some design constraints too. How often do you need to refresh the metrics? How often do you change the coaching plan for your team based on those metrics? And does anyone else need access to the metrics besides you? Through this dialogue, we arrive at a mutual understanding. Most of our developers now understand what's driving the requirement, the user's context, and they probably have a candidate solution in mind. The users have been able to express the nuances of their requirements 
and the product owner understands the design options the developers are considering. At this point, it's a great idea to make some notes so that the key details are captured. This could be a wireframe of a dashboard or the current Excel charts attached to the user story. It doesn't have to be a detailed set of acceptance criteria or test scenarios, although these can be really useful so that the Scrum team and the stakeholders all agree when this story will be done. If the developers don't have the opportunity to have that dialogue with the users, then they'll have to rely on the documentation. Natural languages like English are terrible at capturing all the detail, nuance, and meaning of our requirements. Here's a recent example from a requirement specification provided to Microsoft Partners as part of a request for proposals for Power Platform development services. Business users, including third-party suppliers, are guided by tailored case workflows to assess an application and make a recommendation, assisted by variations for common scenarios, for example, agency referrals and site inspections. Intelligence informing risk management and flexibility for handling exceptions. Whoa. Respondents to the RFP are expected to understand this requirement so that they can specify whether it can be met with a standard feature or whether it require configuration or custom development, which Microsoft or third-party modules or components would be used. And the respondents should be able to describe their approach to meeting the requirement and any assumptions. What's a tailored case workflow? And when you say workflow, are you referring to classic Dynamics 365 workflows or cloud flows or business process flows in Power Automate or some other generic term that you call workflow? And when you say, for example, agency referrals and site inspections, what other scenarios are there? Can you describe all of them, please? What does intelligence informing risk management mean? And when you say you need flexibility for handling exceptions, how would you test whether our feature was flexible enough? You see what I mean? Written requirements generate a lot of questions, and that was just one requirement. This RFP had hundreds, just like that one. But don't get me started on the uselessness of public sector procurement or the pointlessness of requests for proposals like this one. My point is that it's amazing when the developers can ask the users directly, and it's a game of whispers when they can't. In response to the futility of requirements written in natural language, the requirements engineering community has tried to teach business analysts to use structured techniques to capture and communicate requirements. These methods include system shall statements, use cases and use case diagrams, business process models using BPMN, and other types of models and diagrams, state transition diagrams, data flow diagrams, role activity diagrams, and lots of other modeling notations. The trouble with all of these models and notations is that our users are not trained business analysts, and neither are the vast majority of developers. Linda in sales wants metrics showing her team's performance. She doesn't want to learn how to read a data flow diagram so that she can evaluate whether you've modeled her requirements accurately. Heck, I've worked with lots of brilliant developers who couldn't make head or tail of data flow diagrams either. I'm pretty sure the unified modeling language isn't as exciting or as widely taught to developers today as it was 20 years ago. These models make sense 
for people who know how to read and write the notations. They're great for analysts and architects who need to document how the Dynamics 365 or Power Platform application works. But I don't think that wordy specifications or obscure models are suitable for conveying that detail, nuance, and meaning of our users' requirements. In my experience, an open dialogue between the users and the developers is still the best way of reaching a mutual understanding, and it results in the highest possible chance that the developers will build something that the users will love. Richard, here's my advice for the appropriate level of detail to include in your user stories. A short title and a description. If it helps, you can use the classic user story template for the description. As a user role, I can use some feature so that I get some value. But don't feel constrained to use a template like that for your user stories. In fact, don't feel constrained to use user stories for all of your requirements in your product backlog. Add some acceptance criteria if it'll help your Scrum team that includes your product owner and your developers, verify when the story is done. Include a visual where it'll help communicate a possible user interface design. That could be a whiteboard sketch or a wireframe. And that's probably it. Give the developers a chance to clarify the details with the product owner and the users prior to development so that they can estimate the user story. And again, during development, so they can build the best possible feature for your users. Richard's next question, and possible trap, was about splitting and combining user stories. Specifically, Richard wants to know how to handle the situation where different stakeholders or user persona have very similar requirements. Should we combine them into a single user story and call out any minor differences in the user story's details? For example, we could have a couple of acceptance criteria unique to each persona. Or should we split the user story into separate user stories, one for each persona, so that they can each have their own acceptance criteria and the progress and the tracking of each user story can be separated for each persona. I think that this decision needs to be made by the team's product owner and then handled by a Scrum team developer like Richard who specializes in business analysis. As the business analyst gets to know the product owner and her goal for the product, he can make recommendations, but the final decision rests with the product owner. Here's why. It's the product owner's job to prioritize the different needs of her stakeholders. If there are multiple variations of a requirement needed for multiple persona by different stakeholders, she knows it makes sense to develop them all at once. While the requirement is forefront in our minds, while the solution is open, while the Visual Studio project is there on the screen, let's meet all the requirements in one go. That's certainly the most efficient way to do it, and that's the way I'd recommend doing it. But that's not always the best way to do it, or the most appropriate way of doing it in every situation. Perhaps one of the stakeholders is dragging their feet in providing the necessary details of how the requirement needs to work for the persona in her department. Our product owner might want to fulfill the requirement for all the other persona, but split out the requirement for the persona in the foot-dragging stakeholders department. Or the requirement is mission critical for one stakeholder to meet his regulatory obligations, and it's important but not critical for the other stakeholders. 
Our product owner might want to split out the requirement for the stakeholder with the mission-critical regulatory obligations and get it done in the next sprint, while leaving a similar requirement for the other stakeholders further down the product backlog to be prioritized later. Balancing these kind of trade-offs and prioritization decisions are what great product owners are made of. It's not always easy to make the right call. You can't please all of the people all of the time, but a great product owner enjoys this responsibility and does a good job of listening to her stakeholders, making a decision, and then explaining that decision to her stakeholders and the rest of the Scrum team. As developers in the Scrum team, our job is to help the product owner by suggesting user stories that can easily be combined or highlighting technical risks of splitting user stories, risks that the product owner might not see coming. I hope that that helps you with your dilemma about when to split and combine user stories, Richard. In short, combine them where possible because this is the most efficient way of doing it from a time and cost point of view, but there will be times when splitting stories is the best approach. Here's a bonus tip about handling user stories for multiple personas. When you're managing your user stories in a product backlog management tool like Azure DevOps or Jira, use tags to indicate the persona that will benefit from this feature. In our sales dashboard example, tag the user story Linda or Sales Manager. If the feature was requested by multiple personas, add a separate tag for each one. Now you can easily filter for all the user stories for a given persona. And tagging makes splitting and combining the user stories easier too. Richard's last question is about handling changes to the product backlog from the perspective of commercial projects and costing. The third trap of working with user stories is to treat changes in the product backlog, such as adding and removing stories, like we would treat the change requests in a traditional project. Like many of us, Richard works for a Microsoft partner, and so there's a statement of work between Richard's team and the Microsoft customer that specifies the work to be done and how it's going to get paid for. Traditional statements of work point at a requirement specification and usually say, you'll pay us this agreed fee when all those requirements are verified. Sometimes they're fixed price because they're fixed scope, and sometimes they're time and materials. In either case, there's usually a change control procedure to adjust the fees if the agreed scope is changed. Managing this change control procedure is a key responsibility of a project manager. In fact, negotiating change control requests is probably the most fun a project manager ever has. The statement of work looks quite different when we're using an agile approach like Scrum. An agile statement of work doesn't point at a requirement specification because there isn't one. We might have an initial high-level product backlog of epic user stories or a user story map that we refer to in the statement of work, but it's indicative and it's not binding. The reason that the scope is not binding in an agile statement of work is because the product owner controls the scope. Every week or two at the sprint planning event, the product owner presents her highest priority items and the developers forecast which items they'll get done in this sprint. This backlog can change from sprint to sprint as the Scrum team learns more about their stakeholders' needs and the stakeholders provide feedback on completed increments. Even during the sprint, in fact, the sprint backlog can change as the team learns more about the features that it's building. There is no formal 
change control process to follow. It's usually a simple negotiation and an agreement between the product owner and the developers, often facilitated by the Scrum Master. Commercially, the Agile statement of work doesn't say, you'll pay us this agreed fee when all those requirements are verified, because we don't know all the requirements up front. They're going to emerge during the course of the project. Instead, it'll say something like, instead it'll say something like, we'll provide these resources and we'll do our best work on your prioritized requirements until you tell us we're done. And you'll pay us approximately this amount for each sprint. Agile statements of work are usually time and materials. You could charge a fixed fee for each sprint, but developers go on holiday or they change their projects, so it makes sense to base the fees on their effort on the project. Customers who need some certainty can cap the fees or can cap the duration, but the scope remains flexible and in their control. Some customers think that a traditional statement of work with a fixed price, fixed scope arrangement pushes a reasonable amount of risk back onto the developers, onto the Microsoft partner. In my experience, fixed price, fixed scope engagements push an unreasonable amount of risk onto the requirement specification being perfect and not changing. And then Microsoft partners have to inflate their fees to cover that risk. So fixed price engagements usually end up costing more and don't deliver what the customer needs. And no one finds out until the testing phase when it's too late. Of course, those assumptions about requirement specifications are never true. They are never perfect and they always change. Fixed price, fixed scope means your project manager is destined for the dance of change control. And if the Microsoft partner didn't risk adjust the fees in their original fixed price statement of work, the customer can expect to pay handsomely for every change request afterwards. My advice, Richard, would be to work with your team, specifically the team who agrees the statement of work with your customers, whether that's your sales team or business development or customer success, whatever you call them. Examine whether you're trying to adopt an agile approach within a traditional statement of work. And if so, how can you realign your statements of work to support and nurture an agile approach that'll benefit you and your customers? You'll need to support your customers too by educating them on the important role that the product owner plays in controlling the scope of their project. In summary then, how to avoid the three traps of working with user stories on Power Platform and Dynamics 365 projects. Trap number one, level of detail. Keep the written user story as brief as possible and ensure that your developers, users, and product owner have opportunities to discuss the requirement and reach a mutual understanding. Trap number two, combining and splitting user stories. Combine similar user stories together as far as possible to minimize the development effort. But your product owner can decide when there's a good reason to split a user story if she wants. Trap three, user stories can be added and removed from the product backlog at any time without a change control process. It's the product owner's job to prioritize the user stories. And if this product backlog management work impacts your statement of work between the Microsoft customer and the Microsoft partner, then examine whether you're trying to fit an agile project into a traditional statement of work. Thanks very much for your question, Richard. And for everybody else listening, unless you're as shy as Richard, then you're welcome to leave your question about building amazing agile business applications on my voicemail service. Visit customary 
www.ghostbusinessmedia.com and click on the send voicemail button and I'll try and answer your question in an upcoming episode. Don't forget you'll find show notes for this episode at customary.com slash 028, including a transcript and some user story resources. If you'd like to find out more about managing a product backlog in an agile Dynamics 365 or Power Platform project, I have 10 videos covering product backlog management proven practices such as user stories, epics, user story mapping, estimating, non-functional requirements, and lots more. They're in my Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps online course at customary.com slash scrum. The course will teach you everything you need to know about the Scrum framework so you can achieve your professional Scrum Master certification, which, by the way, I think is a perfect initial certification for everyone in a Scrum team. And you'll learn all my proven practices for applying Scrum to Dynamics 365 and Power Platform projects. Until next time, keep sprinting.